I have really been looking forward to today. One, because Joel was being baptized, which is so cool. Like I say, we celebrate birth and new birth here a lot, and we're so grateful to God to let us do that. But also, we're starting a new series. And to start the new series, we've got to kind of end the old series. The old series that we're finishing up with on the seven churches of Revelation. And in those churches, we saw things that were positive and we saw things that were negative. And so we're going to talk about those briefly this morning. But before I do that, I've got to introduce you to a couple people. Abby Reed, come on down. One of the things that you guys probably didn't know about me is I'm a first grade teacher. Okay, so Abby. Yep, this is your chair over here. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. And then I want to introduce you to my other student. I only have two. Wayne Starnes. There's your chair, Wayne. (laughs) By the way, Wayne's my friend. I don't pick on people I don't know well. So just so you know, before we get started, we've already okayed this. At least I think we have pretty much. So you guys, just, you're in class right now. Just sit there for a second and relax because i got a couple of things I need to tell these folks, okay? All right. So back to the seven churches and Revelation. When Jesus addressed those churches, there were seven, as I said. Two of them had no reproof whatsoever. He said to the church at Smyrna, you stand against slander, even though you're poor in material things, you're rich in spiritual things. And you're found faithful when you're tested. To the church in Philadelphia, you have good works. You kept the word and the name of Christ. And you continue to go through the open door that I provided for you. So those are the two churches that he had no reproof whatsoever for. But then he had the other churches, Ephesus, where he says, you've left your first love. You need to repent. At Pergamos, he says, some here are listening to false teaching and they've committed acts of immorality. To the church at Thyatira, he says, you've tolerated Jezebel and you're eating food offered to idols. To the church at Sardis, he says, you pretend to be living, but you're dead. And then to the church at Laodicea that we heard about two weeks ago, as we finished those seven churches, you're lukewarm, you're wretched, and you're pitiful. Now, first of all, as I read through those very briefly, as you saw, was there anything in there the Holy Spirit of God was speaking into your life as I was reading that list to the positive or to the negative? Because as we start the new series today on the foundations of the church or the foundation of the Christian life, we have to ask ourselves the question, how did those churches get so messed up? Well, the reality is because they did not learn and practice the foundational truths of the Scripture. 
We're in Hebrews 5. You guys okay? You good? You good? You good? Okay, just check. In Hebrews 5, it says, For though by this time you should be teachers, you have a need for someone to teach you. Now, first grade, remember? Abby looks pretty normal over here, girl. You're cute. Give me that. But you look like a normal first grader. Are you a first grade? Oh, okay. First grader. Got it right. On the other hand, over here on my left is Mr. Wayne. Mr. Wayne reminds me of my experience in second grade. I was there so long, I could have taught it when I got done. <laughs> now, the obvious visual, and the reason for doing this, of course, is for you to see this. We, sometimes we can see something, it catches our attention, helps us see the truth, is, yes, it is normal for sweet little Abby here to be sitting in this first grade chair. I hope that's first grade chair. And she just fits it perfectly. However, on the other hand, here's Mr. Wayne in his first grade chair, and he's a little big for the chair. Now, he may be big for his age, but here's what we all know. If you're walking down the hall of a school, and you peep into a first grade class, and you see all the first graders like Abby, you're going, yeah, that's, that's right. But if you happen to see right in the middle of them a first grader like Wayne, what are you going to know? Well, let's not go there right now. Everybody knows that's not right. That's not normal. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Do we all know that? Yeah, we all know that. So if we all know that, why is it then that the writer of Hebrews, and by the way, nobody knows who the writer was. It could have been Paul, could have been Barnabas, could have been, you know, whoever. We're not sure. Uh, Maybe Silas. But whoever wrote it, the one thing we do know, with all the dispersion of the Jews and all the persecution of the Jews, this writer had a huge concern for the Christians in the first century that they get the basics. Why? Because we know that when you're in first grade, what are you doing? You're getting your basics for your education so you have something to build upon. And if you don't do that, then you're in trouble. And that's what he says. By now, you should be teachers. But instead, you have the need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. Back to the seven churches. How did they get in the position, condition they were in? They either didn't know Or they simply didn't practice the basic foundational truths that this writer points out to us here. Abby, you can go. You passed first grade. Thank you so much. Wayne. (laughs) You can go. What's that called? Social advancement or whatever. Well, and as I say that, I remember, God, way back, um, years and years ago, I was in uh, K-12, 
Kingsburg Baptist Church. Sheila and I were down near Johnsonville, South Carolina. One of our deacons owned a hardware store, and he had a young man that was working for him who was a high school student. And I don't know the time frame on academics. Barbara, some of these folks who have been in education for so long could tell me, but uh, there, there came about this social advancement that rather than, you know, embarrass kids or whatever, they would just advance them and sadly graduate them. And I'll never forget, we were at our deacon's home the night of high school graduation for some reason. And this high school student that was working for him was so excited. He comes in and he's, and here's what he says. <clears throat> he says, I am now a graduated man. Now that doesn't sound like much, but I'm telling you, he had no clue of what his graduation meant. Now, why am I bringing that up to pick on the educational system? No. To hopefully pull back the curtain on the growth, discipleship, and maturing process of local churches. Because we have done no differently than the educational system. We think because a person has been around for a few years, then they surely know something and they can move forward. That's what the writer was talking about. See, just the fact that you have some chronological age, excuse me, doesn't mean that you have really grasped and are practicing, he says, even to the point that you're supposed to be sharing with someone else. So let's pause. Back to the seven churches. What were some of the issues? Well, one of them was so obvious. You've left your first love. I know I'm sounding critical. I don't mean to. I don't want to. But I truly believe that so much of the church in the Western world have left their first love. Because why? It's become so easy and comfortable for us. Last week, as you heard our speaker from India telling the horrors of people who were standing up for Christ, even being beheaded because of their faith in Christ, or being in prison because of their faith in Christ. What is it that we deal with here? Someone saying something snide about us. And, and I understand it's gotten worse. But the point is, we are not that place where we're being persecuted for our faith in Christ. And yet we have left our first love. We're, we're in love with so many other things. Look at all the things we're so in love with. It's all of our stuff. I am not opposed to anybody having whatever that God wants you to have. Whatever it is that God wants you to have, then you have it. Enjoy it. Use it for his glory, for his kingdom. If you got a big house, have a bunch of folks over. In fact, I'm not sure who sent it to me this week. Let me think. Let me get my quote right. That God wants us in these last days, instead of spending all the money on ourselves, buy a bigger table for our house so we can invite more people over, more people over to share the reality of Christ with them. I think that's a good thing. Or even if you can't afford to buy a bigger table, just use the one you have. And invite some folks over and share the reality of Christ. But now, think about this. This writer isn't talking about evangelism. He's talking about 
discipleship. He's talking about growth. And what he's saying is, by now you've had enough time, you should be teaching others. But instead, you have to have someone teach you. Even the elementary principles of the oracles of God, you need milk. And you should be eating the meat. So my question to all of us is, are we still sucking the bottle? Expecting somebody else to feed us? Now, don't misunderstand me. There are things in the Word of God that none of us, nobody understands or knows all of it by any means. And so together, corporately and collaboratively, collaboratively, we can learn it together. We can help each other. We can encourage. For everyone who partakes only of milk is accustomed, excuse me, is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he's an infant. Now, <clears throat> I scaled it up a little bit for first grade, so it would be a little more visible and a little more obvious. But the writer says, if you are in Christ, you know Christ, and you have been in Christ for any period of time, and you are not now eating and knowing and understanding the deep things of God and his word, and you're still a baby. And see, that's where I'm talking about it being so sad in the Western church. You can be an infant, you can be a first grader for 40, 50, 60 years, and nobody says anything. He goes on. But solid food is for the mature. Who because, you got to get this, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. That's how you know you have grown up. Is when you are in a situation and because you have spent time in the word of God and because the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God that inspired the writing of this book is in you interpreting that word for you. You know what's right and what's wrong. And yet it amazes me as on any Sunday as people gather in churches. When I say churches, I mean church buildings. When we talk about ecclesia, we're the called out ones. The buildings are wonderful. We praise God for them, but that's the building's not the church. We're the church. So wherever we are, we're the church. And so as you grow up, as you mature, your senses are trained to discern good and evil. So you're in a situation. Let's say it's a sexual situation. And the temptation is there. What do you do? Because one of the accusations against one of the churches was immorality. You do the thing that honors God. And maybe, maybe, maybe what you might want to try and do is just not put yourself in that position anyway. Is that... We have, we have murdered over 60 million babies in America since 1973. The fact that God has withheld his judgment from us is unbelievable. And so you ask yourself the question, and, like, and you know, we always, you know, we have the rape, we have the incense, we have all that. Incest. But what about just the fact that so much of this is just, it's for my convenience. Because I, 
I yielded to the flesh. I got the product of the flesh. And now it's inconvenient. I don't want it. So what's the big deal? I don't know. But in my heart, I think God is holding us accountable. I just really do. And I understand there's circumstances. I'm not getting into all that in this message. There's no no way I can. But I'm just saying that when we are matured in Christ, we will not find ourselves often in circumstances that will cause us to sin at that level. Another area that is so, you know, the two things that we never talk about in church is sex and money. And one of the two things that cause the most trouble in people's lives, sex and money. It's like, oh, those are taboo. In fact, I'll never forget. Way, way back, I, I did a message on, uh, on money. And uh, this lady told somebody else in the church, says, the pastor must be having problems with money. He's up preaching on it. <laughs> what? No, it's in the book. It's there. In fact, Jesus talks about it. In fact, let me get real personal with you. When we leave today, the ushers will be by the doors holding baskets, right? When Jesus went to the synagogue, where do you think he sat? By the door where the money boxes were. You know why? Because he said, I can see their heart from here. That's how I know their heart. So this little old widow comes out. She puts her two little pennies in. And you can see all the people, you know, look at that. And Jesus says, she's done more than all the rest of you. You talk about embarrassing the crowd. He did not mind doing that. He didn't mind calling people out. She has done way more than any of you have done today. Why? Because she gave from her need. It's almost as if she might have been mature in her faith and walk in Christ, even though that was a process they were beginning to get into at that particular time. You know right from wrong. You know good and evil. Now, I'm going to tell you, please understand and listen carefully to my testimony. Some years ago, we were in a mess. And when I say we were in a mess, we were in a mess. It was affecting our family, affecting our church. And, and, and I was just at that place where I was so, um, I don't want to say depressed because I don't usually get depressed. It's happened a couple of times, but I was stressed. Let's put it that way. I was stressed. And I just got along with God and I said, God, you've got to help me out here. Because I'm hearing all this stuff, I'm seeing all this stuff, and the truth is right now, I can't tell the difference between good and evil. Please help me understand. And very slowly, very methodically, very patiently, very lovingly, God began to show me. Because everybody involved in the whole situation were professing Christians. It wasn't like we're in some pagan country where they were going to chop my head off. It was here in Chester, South Carolina, where things were difficult and we were trying to figure things out. And God led us through a process that ended up for his glory. And I've seen that happen now so many times because he loves us so much. So as we grow and mature and everybody who knows Christ, if you, you know, if you've been here uh, like precious little Abby and, and you're just getting started, we understand, yeah, you got some things to learn. You're here with, with Wayne, and, and, you know, Wayne's always our special case. Uh, 
But this isn't normal, people. This is not normal. And yet we've allowed it to become. Therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about the Christ, let us press on to maturity. He says, don't stay there. So I'm saying, saying this to you today from the book of Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. If that is where you are, don't stay there. You don't have to. God does not want you to. He wants all his kids to grow up. Now, will we know it all? Will we get it all before he comes? No. Watch this, though. He says, not laying again the foundations of repentance. We're going to go through each one of these over the next several weeks. Of repentance, as Dr. Thomas said last week. Did you hear what he said? If you do not understand repentance, you are not saved. Because there is no way you can be saved without repenting. That's what the book says. From dead works of faith toward God, of instruction about washing and laying on of hands, and the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Those are the things we're going to be covering over the next few weeks. All of those things are fundamental, foundational in our relationship with God. Now, you're sitting there looking at that list. I hope you are. You're saying, well, what, I, what do I know about washing and laying on of hands? What I know about resurrection of the dead? Now, here's a couple things you need to be mindful of. One is, if there's some things here you don't know and we haven't taught it, that's on us. If there are things here that you don't know and we've taught it and you don't know it, it's on you. Everybody got that? It's not like you can walk out and say, well, you know... I just don't remember, ever remember hearing a sermon on that. Well, do you have one of these, even if it's electronic? Guess what? It's available. It's in here. I remember Bill Lindsay's at the back, and some time ago, Bill Stallings was visiting Bill. I'm hoping I'm quoting this right, that one of the things he was so grateful for, for being able to attend this church, was because you could hear the truth taught here. And that's what we do. And that was his amen, by the way. A few years ago, we had a lady who was 65 years old. She started attending our services. And she asked for an appointment. She said, can I come in and see you? I said, sure. And so on a Monday morning, she comes in. And she is really upset. And in fact, she comes in the door saying, I'm really upset. Well, you don't know where that's going to go. You know, I mean, you just don't know. I said, okay, what has you so upset? She said, I'm so upset because I'm 65 years old. I have been in church almost all my life, and I've never heard the Word of God taught like it's taught here. What's wrong with this? I said, listen, we have to give an account for here. Somebody else has to give an account for there. We'll keep working on this. You keep praying for us so we can do this and honor him in the process. So as you look at those things, don't just wait. Say, man, I can't wait till we get to the final judgment, eternal judgment. Can't wait to get to it now. Start on your own. You don't have to wait on us. We'll catch up with you. Get going. 
as the word of God is built into our lives. And all this, of course, you know by being here, if you're here at all, is dependent upon the work of the Holy Spirit. Because he is the one who inspired the writing of the book. He is the one who inspires the revelation and application of the book in our lives. And that's how this works out for us so that we can absolutely grow and mature in all that he has for us. And if you want some fun, just for fun, you know, we always say read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I want you to always read that because that's the life of Jesus Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And when you've read it, go back, read it again. When you've read it, go back and read it again. But in the meantime, you can also inject some acts in there because the book of Acts is the acts of the Holy Spirit. So it shows how the word of God through Jesus Christ and all that he did and all that it works out. And then the Holy Spirit applies it, and we see in the founding of the church and then the spreading of the church throughout the first century how amazing all that is. And you can read that every day. And, and as I've, I just, I learned, to li- I'm listening to Scripture more now. I just, it's just so much fun for me to just sit and listen to Scripture and just let it kind of soak in there. But take the book of Acts and know that the book of Acts is a pattern of what the Holy Spirit is doing and wants to do in all of our lives. And it's not just for a select few. Will some be called into ministry? Yes. Will all of us be called into ministry? Yes. Did you hear that? It doesn't mean that all who are called, we're all called to minister. That's the simple truth. We, we may not be placed in a position as I am here and others are here as we serve on staff. But we're all called by God and anointed by the Holy Spirit to minister and to serve and to know the truth and give application of that truth. And as I said, once in a while you hit a bump. And when you hit a bump, ask for help. That's what we do. But we keep encouraging you. For example, Joel's just made a profession of faith. And what's going to happen? He's going to be discipled. He's going to be discipled in the Scripture. Because that's what we're supposed to do. It's kind of like little Abby showing up at uh, first grade. And the first grade teacher going, hmm, I really don't know what to do with a first grader. Well, that's sadly what's happened in church. People show up. And those who are leading are scratching their heads saying, hmm, don't know what to do with these newborn babes in Christ. Feed them. <laughs> Feed them. They're hungry. They're just like those little bitty babies. We, like I said, we had two families that had, uh, well, here we had grandbabies this week. I guarantee you they're getting fed. I promise you they are. Because if they're not getting fed, I can tell you what they're going to be doing. Screaming. The sad thing is the spiritual babies don't know they can holler like they need to to get the help that they need. And here's the the other cool thing. When you see a little first grader like Abby, and and she, she, I know this child's bright, so she's probably, you know, kind of head of her class. Maybe everybody's not in there in her class like that. Some of them may be a little farther behind or even farther ahead. Like I told you, when I was in second grade, man, they were, they were putting plaques up with my name on them. It's like, this guy, we can't get rid of him. What's the problem? I want to tell you what. 
those second grade teachers, <laughs> the several that I had, they knew something was wrong. Now, you have to understand, this was before all the diagnostic stuff we have today, and I, I have no clue what they would have diagnosed me with, you know, the Dumb's disease or something. I don't know. The, the problem was, what they would never have diagnosed was, I just didn't care. You know, that was the problem. And I tell people, because we lived in Ohio, <clears throat> the state of Ohio gave me an education. I didn't even want it. I mean, they were just good at what they did. And, and, and I was blessed. Think about this. I was blessed that I had all these, boy, boy this sounds so bad. Uh, older, I'm trying to get the best terminology. Old, older single women who were not married, but who thought raising the kids in their classes was their job and call of God in their lives. And that was public school, just so you know. And, and so I was blessed by that. Because I needed help. And see, that's what happens sometimes spiritually. We need help. It's okay. We need help. We get help. That's how this works. But don't, please, I am begging you, begging you, begging you before God. Don't stay on the milk. Don't say, well, I just can't learn. Yes, you can. Remember, the Holy Spirit inspired the writing of the book. And the illustration I've used for years is many of my friends have written books. I I'm not that smart. I don't write books, but my friends write books. So I just have smart friends. And so when I'm reading their books and I run across something, you know what I do? I call them. Say, what do you mean? What do you mean by this? You you made this statement. I don't understand. What's it mean? And they'll tell me. And they're happy to do it. So I'm reading this book and the author, the Holy Spirit, lives inside of me And so I come across something I don't quite get, and I'll say, Holy Spirit, you got to help me out here. And I tell people, if you look at my Bible, you'll find sometimes where I'm reading, and there's a date there with a question mark, meaning that I read that, and I didn't understand it. And then you'll find underneath it another date, and that that would be sometimes a year or two years later when I read it again, and I understood it. That's the Holy Spirit. He's my teacher. He's my teacher. And by the way, for those, just to show you how, what God does, as I had mentioned, I was really not a great student growing up. And then I got to the military, and, and God began to do some things in my life. And then he, then he brought me into his kingdom. And then he called me in the ministry. And you, this, this, again, you don't know my life, so this is not going to be nearly as funny and as fun for you as it, as it is for me. But I ended up in college because my pastor said, Son, I call to ministry is a call to education. Thinking, okay, nobody in my family's ever been to college, but I'll give it a shot. And I and I get to college and I get this little notice. You're on the dean's list. I didn't know the dean had a list. <laughs> when I was in high school, my principal had a list, and I stayed on it pretty well. <laughs> but the dean's list. And I literally, I'm telling you before God, I watched God transform my life. I just, it was him. That's what's so fun for me. I know it's not me. So I don't have to take credit. I don't have to, just, are you surrendered? Are you yielded? That's the question. Are you letting me feed you so you can grow and mature? Yes, I am. I want more, more, more. And don't any of you get started on the food part. I didn't mean, I didn't mean for it to go that way. Spiritual food. 
I'm telling you, our God is amazing. And the Holy Spirit taking his word that he inspired and feeding it into our lives, our spirit man, so we can grow and mature. And we get, I get to stand in amazement of how he does that and how he just continues. I mean, Monday will be my 51st birthday as a believer. That's cool, right? 51 years as a Christian. And he is still opening up, giving me truth, revelation. Like, are you kidding me, God? This morning, Sheila and I were talking. We're talking about heaven. Now, I don't know if you get older, you start talking about heaven or what. But anyway, we're talking about heaven. And Sheila was talking, she had heard a devotional or devotion that said, what you won't be doing are what you won't have to be concerned with when you get to heaven. And what was the, dear? When you get to heaven, you don't have to worry about faith because you're there. In fact, think about this. Really think about this. What is the one primary thing you're going to be doing when you get to heaven? Worship. That's right. This is dress rehearsal. How did you guys do this morning? Was it? Holy, 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 or was it? Oh, holy, holy, holy. <laughs> that scripture, by the way, I couldn't tell you how many times I've woken up in the night. It's just, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who is and who is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Think about that. When we're there in the presence of God, we, we won't be concerned about, um, did we cheat on our taxes? Or, it was, or it, Well, we may have to be concerned about, did we steal from God? Oh, my goodness. Ooh, I didn't even go down that road yet. But just, I want to think about that. You know, every year you have to give an account to the IRS. Well, one, year, one day you've got to give an account to God and what you do with the finances, too. So, anyway. Our God loves us. We're going to spend these next few weeks looking at these foundational truths. And so I have one question for us before we leave today. Are you ready? Got six people nodding their head. The rest are saying, lunch is, come on. How many of you, and I'm going to make it a little harder. How many of you by standing today will say, I want more? I want more. How many of you, by standing today, will say to God, not to Steve, that commitment is not with me, it's with him. I want more. I want more. Can you say that with me? I want more. I want more. I want more, God. I want more, God. I lost the match. Let's try again. I want more, God. Now, remember, this commitment is to him. So when the Holy Spirit starts, you know, getting your attention on some things, you just go back and say, that's right. On March the 27th, I stood up before you, God, and said, I want more, God. I want more of you. And see, here's the cool thing about that. 
He gets to choose how he goes about it. <laughs> That's what makes it so fun. Oh, man, he can surprise us in ways unimaginable. What a blessing. One more time. I want more, God. Father God, thank you for this commitment to know you and more of you in every possible way. Lord, you, you already have your will and purpose planned out for every person who's here. And you know exactly what you designed them for, what you created them for, and what you placed them here for. Their purpose and your plan. Holy God, Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ as the head of the body of Christ today. Take these commitments and make them real and make them alive. And let it all, all, all be God for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.